0: Welcome back. This is Kelly Gregg, and this is number 17 of the podcast series Diet and Health. Diet and Health is the name of the book I've written, and to tell you up front, my purpose is to persuade you to buy this book. Perhaps it's better to say that's one of my major purposes. My overall purpose is to get you in better health, by a better diet, And the way I'm going to do that is to try to prevent you from developing metabolic diseases. And the primary metabolic diseases I'm going to try to prevent are obesity, prediabetes, and diabetes, diseases that currently afflict approximately 40 percent of the population in the United States and much of the Western world, those eating the modern Western diet. For the last 16 podcasts, I've been teasing you with the promise of talking about the ketogenic diet, and we are very close, perhaps the next podcast, but now I'm going to talk a little bit about the low-carb diet. Ultimately, I would like you to get on the common maintenance diet. Unfortunately, some of you have obesity and prediabetes, and in fact, type 2 diabetes. I need to get you more metabolically normal before I want you to go on the common maintenance diet. For some of you, it's too late, and you're going to have to go on the low-carb maintenance diet. That's not terrible. In fact, it's pretty close to the common maintenance diet. Right now, I believe the ketogenic diet is the best diet for fat loss, at least the best practical diet for fat loss. And during my studies... I've come to the conclusion that I have to be able to reduce the fat in your body in order to for me to make any difference with the common maintenance diet. I said that the ketogenic diet is, for me, the best fat loss diet, but I will admit it's not the only fat loss diet. And eventually, I really don't care how you lose the fat. I do want it to be gone, though. Well, let me restate that. I do kind of care how you lose the fat, because if you listened to the last podcast, you recognized how the reduced calorie diet, exercise more diet may enable you to lose weight. However, it often fails in the long term by your regaining the weight. I'm pretty sure if you would go on the low carb maintenance diet that we have a chance of keeping that weight from coming back, but it appears the ketogenic diet is a little better at resetting your metabolic set point such that it's less likely it will return, although even on the ketogenic diet, if you lose fat and then go right back to the diet you were on before you started the diet, your fat will return regardless of the way that you lost the weight. So if you're obese or pre-diabetic, we may need to lose some weight before we can get started. If you happen to be perfectly normal, you're way ahead of the game, because now all you have to do is go on the common maintenance diet. Not only are you going to be way ahead of the game, but your kids will be ahead of the game, your grandparents, anybody who lives with you, your spouse. The common maintenance diet is designed to last a lifetime and designed essentially for the whole family. I'll tell you many times, I'm going to have to rely on the food engineer. And I'll address approximately a third of this book to the food engineer. Okay, so after listening to these podcasts, you may end up thinking the solution to our diabetes-pre-diabetes-obesity problem is a low-carb diet. I once believed exactly that, and that we were all eating too many carbs. Now I realize that the low-carb diet is not the solution, it's just a treatment. You simply can't get around it that for most of our history, man ate a high-carb diet. Using the Bible as the source, man ate only plants till about 2400 B.C. The Egyptians left records indicating that animal protein was part of their diet, but still it was what we would consider a high-carb diet. Our records from the early Christian age also show that animal protein was consumed, but still mainly carbs. If you have food preservation, that means you probably have a high-carb diet. Our current epidemic is not just due to high carbs, but rather the carbs themselves. 4,000 years ago, man was smart enough to understand crossbreeding, and I'm sure the cultivated plants, which were mainly grains, have changed somewhat over the years. Still, the obesity, prediabetes, diabetes epidemic appears to be a much more recent onset. Thus far, I have presented my conjecture that the primary dietary source of the epidemic is the adoption of processed food products in the form of finer flours, sucrose, and high fructose corn syrup, all of which cause a more rapid insulin spike, which may go only slightly higher and may only contribute a little more to the total amount of insulin compared to what we had historically we do end up eating about 11 to 1,200 meals a year. If we count snacks, that may go up to about 2,500 times a year we get an insulin spike. If we count food advertising, that may easily double. Now, the spike with food advertising is not nearly as high as the spike with eating. Remember, this is the cognitive phase of insulin secretion. Yet, it is an additional spike and does contribute a little bit to the overall insulin exposure. I have often been made aware of this phenomena when I'm watching TV with my wife in the evening. So, I would not be surprised if we had four to 5,000 insulin exposures in a year. Over 20 years or so, that adds up to a lot of exposures to insulin. And as I have told you before... It's the food that causes the rapid spike, which goes up slightly higher than it would if the glucose were being absorbed more slowly. It appears we're created to easily handle uh, glucose and insulin elevations, but the number, height, and rapidity of the insulin spikes has changed over the last 100 years. This is what leads us to insulin resistance, which then requires us to do something or it will gradually progress. So, most of the last 5,000 years, we do not have a 40% incidence of obesity, prediabetes, and type 2 diabetes. The last 100 years, we have ended up with a 40% prevalence. Recall I have said this several times. Obesity, I may be able to help you lose fat. Prediabetes, I might be able to keep you from progressing to type 2 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes... I will be able to help you manage it, but I don't know if I can ever reverse it, unless perhaps we didn't have the right diagnosis to start with. Now, there are other factors that may be involved in the etiology of this epidemic, such as the gut microbiome, environmental toxins, or modern epigenic changes. The longer I study, the more I believe that epigenic changes Are involved in insulin resistance. This is due to our diet and our reaction to it, so the treatment is going to end up being the same as I have mentioned before. Lose fat and get on one of the maintenance diets. Or, of course, if you're not fat, which I hope you aren't, then get on the maintenance diet. We also know that these diseases are appearing in younger and younger populations. This may be due to epigenic changes in the adults. That is, if you have obese adults, some of the epigenic changes due to that obesity may have been passed on to the next generation. Or perhaps it's due to a decrease in physical activity. Although, as I have discussed before, physical activity is a small part of your total caloric expenditure. Nevertheless, it is a part, however small it is. I don't want you to get the impression that physical activity may not help your health. I certainly believe it will increase your work output, and there may be several other effects that it will help. However, I don't believe it is a prominent way in order to lose weight. Remember my last podcast, where you can exercise eight hours a day, and yes, you will lose weight. Of course, six years later, he gained it all back. There are other factors that really until recently we never seriously considered. It may be due to the progressive deterioration of our genome or partially by the unexplained rise in the autoimmune disorders, which itself may be related to our diet and both the changes in the gut microbiome and the changes in our omega-6 and omega-3 fat ratios. This will be discussed later in the podcast. For the last 20 years, all of our corn and soybeans have been GMO products. In 1900, we consumed virtually no soybean oil. Now in the U.S., it is 14 kilograms per person per year. I don't have enough time right now to go into the details. As I said, I will include these in later podcasts. My goal is prevention... But right now, I'm going to talk a little bit about treatment. A low-carb diet may not be the solution to this epidemic. It is only a treatment. My goal would be to not have to have anyone go on the low-carb maintenance diet, just the common maintenance diet. But I have to take people as they are, and some of them is going to be too late to go on the common diet, and they're going to have to go low-carb. So, let's look at the low-carb diet to see how it can be useful. For type 1 diabetes, the amount of insulin you use is based upon your carb intake. You must count carbs anyway, so you might as well keep them on the low side to save money. For type 3 diabetes, or LADA, a low-carb diet may slow progression. Eventually, you end up similar to type 1 diabetes and are counting carbs anyway, so again, you might as well go the low-carb route. For type 2 diabetes, early on you may be in the gray zone, so a low-carb diet may need for medication. Regardless, a low-carb diet will be a great benefit in helping manage your glucose levels. Some of these individuals we call type 2 diabetics, actually are type 3 diabetics, and eventually that manifests itself. You can imagine how some people who have LADA but happen to be obese can easily be confused with a type 2 diabetic. Whatever your situation, if you have high blood sugar and low insulin levels, a low-carb diet will be a benefit to you. If you happen to have pre-diabetics, you have a chance, if you go on the low-carb diet, that you can recover a normal hemoglobin A1c. It may be that we can prevent you from developing type 2 diabetes. In any case, we are going to assume you have insulin resistance, and now you have to be on a low-carb diet the rest of your life, probably the low-carb maintenance diet. It will be useful if we could decrease the amount of fat. A low-carb diet still may not work on everyone with pre-diabetes. We may have just caught you on the way to LADA, or you may have antibodies that are going to eventually destroy your beta cells. Still, I think many of you with pre-diabetes can be helped. If you have obesity, it's certainly possible that you may never get pre-diabetes, Obese people have been around for a long time before processed foods became the norm. You may not even have any insulin resistance. If you want to lose weight, that is fat, for reasons other than to prevent prediabetes, a low-carb diet is still the best option. Right now, I believe the ketosis diet works well for most. You still must change your diet when you lose fat, or it comes right back. Probably most obese people are on their way to prediabetes and have some insulin resistance. Thus, unless they change their ways, they will end up with prediabetes. Now for the disclaimer. Let me remind you, I may not be a real doctor. This is not medical advice. You want medical advice? Go pay for a health care provider. You want information? Read the book. Much of the information contained within may be just my opinion and worth no more than the checkout person at the food store. It would not be possible for me to validate all the information I have given you. I have given you no footnotes. You must rely on your common sense and maybe Google to determine what may be true or just fantasy. Now I am off the hook. I have given you some idea of what diabetes is. I have talked a little about prevention the whole point of this book is that a proper diet may keep you from getting obesity, pre-diabetes, and type 2 diabetes. If you are obese, we need to get back to the baseline such that what I am teaching you will work. Even if your metabolic set point is not abnormal, and most of the time it may be, remember how the excess fat cells may trigger more hunger by diminishing the availability of energy. Now, some fat is needed and healthy. The divide between healthy and too much varies a little with people, but most of us know it when we see it. Obesity is not necessarily diabetes, but it's not normal either. We can call this the healthy obese. I discourage exercise and reducing calories as the way to lose fat. That's not to say I discourage exercise. It's just that I discourage the reduced-calorie-exercise-more diet. Therapeutic fasting is a last resort, and I really don't expect hardly any of you to do this. I do believe the ketogenic diet is the best fat-losing diet. However, that does not mean some other diets will equally enable you to lose fat. I want you to lose the fat, and then go on the maintenance diet. I am trying to get you and your family to reach good health through diet. Some of you may have to do something to initially get to that point. Reducing carbs helps both to lower our metabolic and glucose set point. Then we can get to a maintenance diet and keep it that way. We are grinding our way through the book, Diet and Health. By this time, some of you will be tired of listening to me. And then I encourage you to go ahead and buy the book so you don't have to listen to me anymore. Throughout these podcasts, I am including secret messages. So whatever you do, do not play the tape backwards. The next episode is number 18. And finally, I'll talk to you a little about the ketogenic diet for beginners.